what is going on in the rail industry? Now, when I was in the legislature, the one thing that we tried to focus on were the, the changes in what management wanted to do versus what the public needed them to do. And there's no question that, that railroad management wanted less men on the trains. They didn't want men on the trains. They wanted to get rid of the caboose, which obviously they did. They didn't, they didn't want men on the, the trains. They went down to, to one person per crew, all of this. And so I was one of those individuals that stood up for it. I'm proud of the, the engineers. You know, they know what's happening on that train more than anyone. The people that fix that track know what's happening more than anyone. And cutting these guys and cutting these guys was never something that we should do. Uh, not to mention the fact that when you have the companies that sit there and and take the opportunity to use less regulation to have more uh, stock buybacks instead of actually putting money back into the tracks, then the next thing you know, uh, East Palestine, what you see there happens. Now, John Risch was my go-to guy for years. Uh, John is uh, was National Legislative Director of SMART. That's sheet metal, air, rail, transportation, the transportation division. He worked full-time in D.C. Uh, now, where I knew him is a former North Dakota State Legislative Director for the United Transportation Union. And, of course, member of the local 1344 out of Mandan. Uh, John, good to have you on News and Views. Thanks for, thanks for coming on with us. Great to be on. I got to ask you, what is going on? Well, there's a number of things going on, Joel, but I think the biggest factor is this uh, trend towards uh, longer and longer trains. When I hired out on the railroad, the trains were just over a mile long generally, and now they're running trains that are two and three miles long. Um, I worked as a railroad engineer for 30 years, and it was virtually impossible to control a train, you don't know where, some of it's going uphill, some of it's going downhill, some of it's on the flat when you're two and three miles long. Causes tremendous, in what we call in-train forces, jerking back and forth. And oftentimes this is the thing that will distort the track, it'll uh, cause stress on the drawbars and knuckles between cars, and it'll cause derailment. So one of the biggest issues driving, uh, negatively affecting safety in the rail industry is these tremendously long trains that they're running so they're uncontrollable so here's here's my question what what is what has happened i mean does anybody even monitor this anymore or is it just whatever the industry wants the industry gets to do whatever the industry wants the industry gets to do and uh, there's no there's no restrictions on the length of trains um and they're really driven by uh Wall Street, uh, something called precision scheduled railroading, where the um, um, their only effort is to drive the bottom line. They, that customer service is virtually non-existent anymore, and it, it's a sad testament. Um, uh, they have um, their focus here on the BNSF in North Dakota is, is fuel saving, so they have to run the trains. They can't use the full throttle. They run it slower and slower, and the trains uh, crews are limited twelve hours a day. They, they can't make it to the terminal. They get stuck on the road. They have to be relieved by another crew. Uh, then all of a sudden, they don't have enough crews to relieve the trains. They tie up tie up the railroad. And um, I don't know. It's, let's put it this way. Very poor management decisions focused only on the bottom line, not focused on uh, um, customer service whatsoever. So who makes the decisions? 
I mean, the 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 union. It seems to me that the rail injury engineers really have less power than ever before, John. And well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, well, that's they, the they biggest factor. Less. They they they're on it. They know it. You just described it because you understand it, and yet they don't listen to you. Oh no, they could care less about us. They they um they are focused exclusively. Somebody figured that oh we're going to save a little fuel, and um, they're slowing down the system all over, all over. They're stopping trains. Trains can't get over the road. Um, it's a bad deal for not just for rail workers. It's a bad deal for customers. It's a bad deal for rail service overall. So w- where do we go from here? Because what happened in Ohio could obviously, well, it did happen here. You look at what happened in Castleton, and lives are going to get lost. And and you're sitting there in 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 Ohio, for example, those individuals' property now, their home, which is probably for many of them the biggest investment, is worth nothing now. I mean, it really is. It's worth nothing. Is anyone going to say, "Gee, let's move there now"? I mean, no. And and so, John, this. This affects not just that rail worker or the person that wants to ship product over the rail, but it affects everybody close to the rail. Yeah, it does. There's actually a bill recently introduced in the Senate with uh, six sponsors, three Republicans, three Democrats, Sherrod Brown and Vance of Ohio taking the lead, um, that will instruct the Federal Railroad Administration to develop rules on train lengths and a number of other things, which would be fine, but it, you know they instruct the FRA uh, to do these things, and it takes sometimes years in order to, for them to promulgate a rule. So there, there's some efforts going on. Um, uh, somebody you knew, you know quite well, it was named Senator Heitkamp, introduced a bill when she was in, in the Senate to require the minimum of two people on every train, a conductor and an engineer, and um, that had legs and. In fact, there was an FRA rule that was promulgated under the uh, Obama administration, and when Trump took office, um, he had it pulled, withdrawn. So, you know, it's a slow process when you deal either regulatory or even legislatively. Um, but there's some interest in it now. So in in terms of where we go forward, because with anything when it comes to safety, in North Dakota, for example, we're, we're talking about increasing speed limits on, on the interstate highways and, and on certain highways up to 80 miles an hour. You know, obviously, it's going to cost more lives because 80 means 85, or they won't increase the fine for that first five, right? So with with the rail industry, you, you've got, you're down to one person on many of these trains, something happens, you know, tough uh, to that individual. It's it's just, you know, the the, the maintenance on the tracks themselves, the, the ability to go in and, and check and make sure these guys are keeping the rail updated. Keep, I mean, where do we go? Because the best time to change this, to fix this, is before we have what's happening now. Well, occasionally derailments are going to happen no matter what we do. And I don't want the public thinking that it's a bad idea to ship hazmat by rail because it's certainly safer to ship it by rail than it is by trucks out there. But we can do some things to um, improve safety. One one of the things I worked on extensively in Washington, D.C., was something called electronically controlled braking systems. What if somebody told you, Joel, that there's something you can add to a freight car, every freight car on a train, and it can slow and stop trains 
twice as fast as they, they can stop now. And it can eliminate, virtually eliminate all in-train forces that prevent derailment. And it would only cost about $3,000 additional for every $140,000 freight car. Wouldn't you think that would be remarkable? It is remarkable. We've had, a, we've had ECP trains come through North Dakota. I operated them. They're just incredible. And the Obama administration had a rule in the phase in the ECP brakes on hazardous material trains. And when Trump took office, they pulled that rule like they pulled every other safety provision in the rail industry. Um, I used to argue with the head of the BNSF at the time. He said, oh, it costs a lot of money. I said, first of all, your shippers are paying for the new cars. You're going to build new tank cars. The tank cars are going to cost $140,000. What's the difference if it costs $140,000 or $143,000? And he would say, no, no, John. No, no, John. It's not $3,000. It's $3,500 a car. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll give you that. And um, just in Crave, if you want to look up ECP brakes, just Google my name, ECP, John Rich ECP. And it's the most remarkable it would be the most remarkable advancement in rail safety um, in my lifetime. If we just phase them in, I'm not saying overnight, just phase them in. John, hang around. A couple more questions for you. Uh, obviously, he knows the rail industry. He He's worked on the rail. Uh, he's an individual that the people that worked on the rail said, John, go represent us. Uh, we need you. Uh, he's an individual that uh, former governors like Ed Schaefer want to say hi to, and they did a pretty doggone good job of working together. Uh, and I think it's safe to say that John, as a union guy, didn't necessarily agree politically all the time with that side of the aisle. So... So I get a little bit more time to visit with John Risch, a longtime advocate on behalf of rail workers and rail safety and an individual that's worked in the transportation industry uh, for years. John, fix this. I mean, you mentioned ECP brakes. Uh, obviously, that one just has everyone saying, why not? I mean, w what else needs to be done? Because it seems as though the, the powers that be get to deregulate anytime they want. Well, one of the other things I long time advocated for was something called close call reporting. You know, you hear about these near misses in the airline industry because they're reported. If you're an airline pilot or a crew member of some sort and there's an issue, you almost there was a mistake made and there was almost an accident, you have a confidential way in which to report it and it's investigated and you won't be reprimanded for it. We've at, we advocated that for years. The Federal Railroad Administration has wanted it, and the rail industry is completely opposed to it. Uh, they call it a get-out-of-jail-free card. They want harsh discipline instead of finding the root causes of safety issues in the workplace. So enacting, mandating close-call reporting in the rail industry would be a significant path forward in improving safety. Uh, one of your guys, uh, some guy texted that uh, BNSF eliminated the safety programs. So they did. Uh, used to have regular safety programs, and they had something called closed-loop safety reporting. So anytime something safety incident was reported, it was dealt with. It was um, reviewed at the safety committee. Someone was assigned to investigate it, and uh, it was dealt with. And now that's all been eliminated because I suppose it costs money. And they needed to, you know, they couldn't afford to have anybody off. They needed them on the trains and off to um, investigate safety concerns. Those well, are a couple of ways. What about the workers themselves, John? Are less people wanting to get 
into the industry. I remember, and you know, I have relatives, buddies, everybody that that ride the rails, and and these guys. That was kind of a get, you know, to to get to be an engineer, get to be a conductor, get to be, uh, you know, working on the rail, and in the end. Now they all seem to have regretted it. They're hanging in there just until they get their their pension. But I mean, is, is anybody else wanting to take these jobs? Well, that, that's a real concern. When I when I got when I hired out in the railroad in the late seventies, and um, I became a railroad engineer by the time I was twenty one, it was one of the premier um, job opportunities in our community. I grew up in Mandan. Um, not anymore. They're having a very difficult time hiring people because of uh, unreasonable work practices, expecting you to uh, uh, no no assigned days off, no assigned time off, um, expecting you to be available 30 days a month. Um, Martin Oberman, the chairman of the Surface Transportation Board, uh, recently chastised the industry. Uh, the industry was complaining they were having a hard time hiring employees. He said, well, you're going to have to make those jobs attractive. You're going to have to make them more attractive and get rid of your unreasonable demands on workers. So somebody will want to um, uh, go to work for you. Well, and that's the truth, isn't it? You talk about unsigned uh, days off. I mean, th- these guys are sitting there. They they get told they got to work the day before a nephew or a niece's wedding. <laughs> it's Absolutely. Just, it's your just own ridiculous. wedding. Yeah, your own wedding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John, always good to talk to you, man. Thanks for oh, what you do for these men and women that bust their butts every day moving what we got. So appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for you, Joe. You Bye. bet. When we come back, the phone lines are yours. What do you think? Are you Do you feel safe next to the rail? Do you feel that it's being run properly? Do you feel that deregulation is the way to go? Because that's what happened, and it happened under the previous administration. Do you think it'll get fixed now?